mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we began last week, of course, uh, this gospel uh, written some 35 years after the what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and written by John, one of the inner three, John, uh, uh, James, his brother, they were called the sons of thunder, and then Peter, they were the inner three. Um, if you'll remember, and it's going to be recorded in this book when we get there, chapter 19, Jesus hanging on the cross... 1926, and he says uh, to his mother, if you remember, he says, uh, mother, excuse me, therefore he saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved. Listen, that's the text that tells you that it's John, the author of the gospel. When you see the name of John in this, this gospel, it's usually John the baptizer. It's not John the author. He never uses his name, but he says whom he loved, the, the disciple whom he loved, because he always felt that when he was in Jesus' presence. Now, most church historians believe that John was the youngest of all of uh, these disciples, and thus he was there longer. But it says this in 1926, When Jesus therefore saw his mother, Mary, and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And what he did was he delivered Mary to John to take care of her because we, we think that Joseph is gone at this time. So dad is no longer there to take care of Mary. So he delivers her, her to be taken care of. Now, here's the interesting thing. Mary means their rebellion. And John stands for the grace of God. So he, on the cross, literally in physical form, hands their rebellion to the grace of God, which speaks of you and I, that our rebellion has been given over to the grace of God, and we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So you have a physical, tangible picture of that, if you will, while he hangs on the cross, then it's church historians tell us that John took faithful care of Mary until she died. When she died, he actually was said to have started seven churches in Asia Minor, which is probably the churches that are spoken of in the book of Revelation. He spent most of his time at Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey, where he was a, a teacher. And then when they tried to kill him, they couldn't kill him, so they cast him to the Isle of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation, the, the, the vision on uh, uh, Sunday morning. And then when he came back, 
He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and this Gospel John because so many wanted to, to hear uh, his uh, version or testimony, his witness of what he had seen and heard. And so we have this, and it's so totally different yet exactly the same. It's more of a spiritual book that deals with more of the Holy Spirit and more of what was going on now that you have 35 years to reflect and to walk in it and to grow in it. And so it only has two of the actual testimonies or two, uh, I think it's the feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000 that are actually mentioned in the other three Gospels. So after you've had those, that many years to really know about those letters, you don't need to write about that anymore. They're already circulating. But the Gnostics had come in, all of this other stuff had come in. So he deals with all of those issues as he gives us this great dissertation about the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's the genealogy of the Ancient of Days. You know, many will say, there's no genealogy in John. Well, there is. Right there it is. God has always been the self-existing one. His genealogy is in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Just like you, when you speak, your Word is with you. Your Word should be your bond. We're having our hearts trained so that out of the abundance of the heart, our mouth speaks. When it speaks, our word goes out. People can trust us. People can count on us. People will hear the witness of Jesus Christ from us in everything that we do. And this is what you see where God created the heavens and the earth. And then God allowed the devil to run in and bring about sin. And then God said, I'm going to go down there and save them. His delight was always with the sons of men. So he spoke. And we see that the word, 114, we talked about it last week, became flesh and dwelt among us. He has always been but then he was generated in the flesh and he took on a tent, a bodily form, and the impossible happens because no one can see God. But then we see him in the face of Jesus Christ. What Moses always wanted to see, but could only see his backside, his Shekinah glory, we see in the face of Jesus Christ. John is testifying to us of these things. He's given us the historicity, if you will, that, that comes from his experience. He wrote around uh, between A.D. 95 and 100. He wrote all of these letters about the same time. Now, we, the, the fun part is we just covered 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So we, we're, we're covering quite a bit of John's material, the grace of God. Uh, or God is a gracious giver is what John means. Jehovah is a gracious giver. So last week we find out that that light, verse 5, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, couldn't overcome it, couldn't extinguish it, couldn't put it out. We talked about, you know, really, uh, evil is the absence of God. Darkness is the absence of light. And we're going to see some of these things as we go through. Uh, of course, life is the opposite of death. We're going to see some of these things as we get into the gospel of John, a gospel according to John, the good news of uh, uh, the Savior of the world coming and taking flesh and dwelling among us. And what we really see, and I think we need to see this in the gospels, is we see two examples we see the example of God with us. We're going to see that in the text. Uh, the heart of God, man, uh, 
100% man, 100% God. But we also are going to see John the baptizer. Well, what's that? Well, John the baptizer uh, is going to be the forerunner. He's the one that's going to go and proclaim the light. He's the one that's going to go tell people about the light. And what does he do? He begins the same way Jesus did. He begins with telling people to repent and be baptized. There's one coming after me. And so that's what you and I are supposed to be doing. So we have an example of God with us, Jesus the Christ, the example of perfection. But then we have an example of a man that was born under Adam in sin, obeying God, and had the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. So it's very important that we look at these two examples that are giving, given in the Gospel of John and understand that we are called now to go and be the forerunner in many people's lives. Many people are not going to read the Bible. You might be the only letter they ever read. When they see your life, when they watch your life, when they hear the words that come out of your mouth, is it the living word of God that will strike their conscience, will convict them and cause them to say, wait a minute, there's something wrong. I'm in darkness. Will it turn on a light in their heart so that they can turn from their sin and come and know Jesus Christ? That's the important question here because that light shines in the darkness. God has come to earth and took flesh. God being the light. And our darkness down here, our flood of sin needs to be dealt with. And men don't even know that they're lost. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't even know it. We don't even know we're in darkness. We're standing in darkness. We're living in darkness. We're walking in lies would be another way. Following the devil and then God turns on this light switch so that we can follow him out of this house that's burning down. This house of darkness, this house that's on fire and that has been judged already. We can follow him out and into heaven. So let's look. It's going to be John 1, 6. We're going to begin there and read. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. 
For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to see Jesus. You would open our eyes to understand uh, how you've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light, that we might proclaim the praises of your son, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Pour out your spirit now. Have your way with our children's ministry and have your way with our hearts. May we never be the same from he after hearing from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So after the genealogy of Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created uh, by God. God spoke them into existence. We look at it in Genesis 1 uh, last week. Uh, we find out that there's another man that has come, and he's going to be a witness. There was a man, 1-6, sent from God whose name was John. And the, John means Jehovah is a gracious giver, or the grace of God is how I look at it, as representing the grace of God that came down, uh, and we are to tell others of that. This man we know is from God. His calling was from God. Sent is the word apollos, apolloso. Um, it means one sent forth. We, we sometimes call them apostles. One sent forth. It means uh, set apart and sent out on a mission with God. And I believe that we are all called and sent out on a mission with God. I mean, he doesn't just take us straight home. But there's this sanctifying process that's going on. And while we're going through the same things that everybody else in the world is going through, we are to be those witnesses to others of the light that is in us, of the light and the life that is in us through the person of Jesus Christ because of the cross of Calvary. Because light was shined in our darkness and now the switch has been turned on. And now we can see to follow the Savior of the world, the Alpha and the Omega. We might not know everything, but we know that we want to follow life and light and the word of God. We don't want to follow darkness and walk in darkness anymore. So we have a light on our path and a lamp at our feet so that we know which way we're going as we're led out of this world. So here's John, his name, it's his character, it's his nature. He came, and if you remember the picture of John that you get in the other Gospels, um, should we read them? You know, he's in, dressed in camel hair. Uh, he's eating honey and got locusts hanging out of his mouth. He has a Nazarite vow uh, which is a vow of separation, where he's in the wilderness, you know. And, and, and this guy, if, if you've seen him today, if he was here today in the church, this guy, John the Baptizer, we would probably be locking him up. He didn't fit into the religious culture. In fact, when they come around, he'd call them brood of vipers. He says, brood of vipers who warned you to repent. Think about it for a minute. And yet, 
Everything in Christendom wants us all to fit into what their box is. The same way it was with the Sadducees and Pharisees. And so when he wouldn't go to them and speak to them, they were sent to him to go out to where he was baptizing at. He wasn't looking for the popularity. He wasn't looking for the honor of men. He was looking for the honor that come from obeying God. That's our memory verse this week, John 5, 44. If he was looking for the honor of men, he would have been in town talking about the next book, the next place he was going to speak, the next thing he was going to do, the next miracle that was going to be. And don't forget, I'm getting ready to baptize Jesus. Come on out and see it. But he was in the wilderness, obeying God, listening to God, meeting with God. And he's the example of what a Christian life should be. And we go, wait a minute, come on, he's the last of the Old Testament prophets. Listen, he's also the first of the New Testament believers. He was called to be the forerunner to Jesus the Christ, the Messiah of the world, to make straight the way of the Lord. In fact, let's just read it really quick. It's in, uh, let's look at um, Luke 3. Luke gives you the, I like his autopatia. It's a, where he did an autopsy of the body of Christ and the things that happened uh, in the early church. That's the body. We're the believers. Um, Luke 3, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, Caesar puts him in time and space. Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, we know everything about it. Herod being tetrarch of Galilee. See, we're seeing all of these things that can be proven. His brother Philip, uh, uh, tetrarch of Ituria and the region of Traconius and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. Look at that. you got every one of them ruling where they broke up the house of Herod while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. We got two high priests because one high priest is the real one, and the, and the Roman government didn't like the way he ran things following God's word, so they put his son-in-law in charge because his son-in-law was a mafia boss, we would say. And look what it says here. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God, the living word of God, came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, God is salvation, the prophet. Listen to me. Notice it says the word of God came to John in the wilderness. And then he went. See, the, the, the word came to him. He heard his voice and he went and did what he said. We're not given all the details. There's a personal relationship going on in the middle of the verses where he said, this is what I want you to do, John. You've been out here in the wilderness separating yourself. I set you apart. I put my Holy Spirit in you from birth. And now here's my voice. This is what I've called you to do. It's what I formed you in your mother's womb to do is to be the forerunner. What does he do? He goes out preaching the same message that Jesus is going to preach. Repent. Metanoia. Change your mind, change your direction, turn from what you're doing right now. And not just, not our verse on, uh, uh, what was it, Friday night, Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, 
so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Listen, repent is changing your mind. But do you know that you can say, wow, this is wrong. This is not going good. And you can turn from that and never turn to God. You can turn to some false religious system like, like the, the Mormons or, or to the Jehovah Witnesses or to the Catholics or to, to Islam. You can turn to some religious system like, like, like we see today in the world, Scientology. You can turn to some New Age stuff. You can turn anywhere and never turn to God. But to be converted, you must turn to God. You can't just turn away from what you say is wrong and start following something else that's wrong. You have to be converted. That means turn to God. Turn to the one and only true God. Turn to the truth and stop listening to lies. And the only place you're going to find that is in the Word of God. Because it's the Word that God sent to heal the land. Psalms 107.20, He sent His Word to rescue us from the liars, from Satan, from sin, and from self. And if we're not spending time in the Word, learning what truth is, spending time learning what wisdom of God is and the knowledge of God is and the ways of God are, we'll turn from one thing and turn right back into another bucket of lies and think we're okay. This is the revelation of Jesus the Christ. And we have to know we're serving Him and His character, His name, His will. Everything that's going on about Him is written down in this love letter of 66 books by 40 authors. And He even gives you His Holy Spirit to lead you through it, to uncover it so that you can be involved in it and be a witness to it and give testimony in this grand courtroom. So Isaiah wrote it, said John would do it. And we see here in Luke 3, verse 4, as it is written in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, who heard from God and wrote down what he heard, the voice, listen, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, not an echo. I'm very serious about this. So many Christians are just an echo of what they heard somebody else say. We are supposed to be a voice out of a personal relationship with God when you meet with God and He's changing your life. And now your witness and your testimony comes from what He's doing in your life. He gives you a voice. He gives you His Spirit. He gives you His truth. And now you become the light. You're now the light of the world that goes out and shines in people's darkness. Matthew 5. 16 and 17, I think it is on the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. Got to get it. We got to go to it. Right in the middle of it. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Notice you're not drawing attention to yourself. You're not trying to get honor for yourself. Even your light shines just because you're witnessing about Jesus and they see those good works and they glorify God because they know that it had to come from God. They know that it cannot be you because you're not trying to lift up yourself. Now listen to me, being a voice, not an echo. If you're an echo, you're going to quote some other pastor, some other person. You're going to be honoring some other man. 
But you want to be a light. You want to be the light that God wants you to be. You want to be that personal light to people so they see that it has to be you. You didn't read a book. You spent time with the Word, the living Word, the incarnate Word. And He's in you, and He lives through you, and He reflects His light out of your heart because you've spent time with Him. Not because somebody told you, repeat this after me, and everything will be good. Not a program relationship so when john comes he's been spending time with god the word of god it came to him in the wilderness and the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord make his path straight every valley shall be filled every mountain and hill shall be brought low the crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth why and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Listen to me. There's nobody that's that's not going to see the Christ. There's nobody that's not going to be given the light to believe. Listen, everybody's going to have a chance to decide in their conscience to follow light or follow darkness. It's a choice we make. But this is what they would do when kings were going to go visit a territory. They would send out somebody in front, a delegation. And they would go and they would make sure that there was no vagabonds or thieves or robbers. And what he's saying is, let's let's get rid of all the stumbling, all the little holes. Let's get rid of all the high places. Let's bring everything down where you can see clearly the salvation of the Lord, the deliverance of the Lord, the Son, Jesus Christ. And you can make a specific decision in your life because of the light that's being shined into your darkness. And you and everybody is given a measure of faith to decide what I'm going to do. And we probably won't go to Romans, but if we went to Romans 1, it talks about us suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. The light is shining in our heart, and now we make a decision. Am I going to obey light, or am I going to keep following darkness? And we suppress the truth. You keep following darkness, your heart gets harder. Your heart gets farther away. The light doesn't, you can't see it. It's way over there, because darkness is the absence of light. Evil is the absence of God, and you're pushing God away because you're saying no to his word, no to his voice, no to his salvation. And so you get further and further away but you think you're okay because you said a prayer. You have to draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You have to submit to God and then resist the devil. You have to obey the word, the voice, and meet with him. This is a wilderness, but you're okay in the wilderness because God is with you and you and God is a majority. But we are going out. Everybody should see the salvation of the Lord through the light. We are now the light. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now listen, this isn't something new to Christianity. All people were baptizing. It's called identification. They would baptize you into whatever cult it was, whatever thing it was. Baptism is not the significant thing here. The heart is what he's after. The surrender of the heart, the identification with the word of God, becoming the light of God. We make so much of baptism, it's just the first step of obedience to God. If you're really going to identify with Him now, you're already baptized into the body of Christ by the Spirit of God. It's a spiritual thing that happens, we'll see in this text. It's the will of God, not the will of man. It's not, oh, I get saved because I said a prayer and then I went and got baptized in water. No, it's you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. 
It's not your works that saved you. You do the works to prove that you are saved. They come after. As Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 says, For by grace you have been saved. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Through faith, confident trust in what God has done. Not of works, or it is the gift of God. It's a free gift. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But you are his workmanship, his poema, his works in progress, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that you should walk in them. See, that's how you live after you believe by faith that the grace of God has delivered you from your sin nature. You begin to walk in his good works. They are a result of true salvation. If you're still in your own esteem, in your own strength, in your own ways, doing your own program, that's religion. It leads you away from the light. It leads you away and back into darkness. You haven't been, you're not being converted and turning to God and His way, and that's the only way. It's the only name under heaven and earth by which men can be saved. So he's baptizing them, and and 3.8 says, Therefore, bear fruits. Listen to this. Bear fruits. Oh, my goodness. How do you bear fruit? You abide in the vine. See, we have no ability to really bear fruit. But it says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Isn't that funny? And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Listen, the only way to bear good fruits is to abide in the vine. The only way to abide in the vine is first be grafted in. The only way to be grafted in is to receive the light, to believe the light, to begin to trust confidently in the light and to say, I'm going to obey the word of God. And part of obeying the word of God is when you disobey it, confess it. And even in your disobedience, that confession makes you come to God and go, here I am. That was crazy. That's not how I'm supposed to live. That's not what I'm supposed to say. That's not what I'm supposed to do. And what's he say? He's faithful and just to forgive you. Cast it as far as the east is from the west. And then cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's, It's what he's doing in the sanctification process. Is as you humble yourself and confess... His fire is burning out the dross and purifying you. So John, the baptizer, he's the man that was sent from God. He had been meeting with God. There was a witness that came into your life and shared truth to you. Now listen, you might have been dead asleep and didn't know it. You didn't know who reached over and turned the light on. You might not even know it today. Who actually shared scripture that made you go, Wait a minute. You mean I'm eternal? I'm going to die? There's a God? Jesus died for me? Somebody turn that light on. But the only way you could have heard it is if God touched you. The only way you can respond is if God is speaking to you. It's just head knowledge. Many people running around the world today have a head knowledge of these things. They, they, they say they've read the Bible, but they don't have the Spirit of God. And without the Spirit of God, you're not God's. 
So it's very important for us to make our elections sure, to test ourselves to see if we're even in the faith, to ask God to soften our hearts to receive the witness of the grace of God, of John. Because that's what this book is about. This is a grand courtroom of witnesses. Everything you see is going to be witnesses. There's going to be signs and witnesses and testimony so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and in his name have life. Verse 7, this man, John, came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. Notice it's a capital. It's Jesus, the Word of God. Now we know that He's the Word. Now we know that He's the light. John 8, 12 is going to say, I am the light of the world. And if a man is in me, he doesn't walk in darkness. That's not where you're going to live at because darkness is where he shines his light into this world of darkness and evil and sin and death. That through him that through him might believe. Now, you can sit around and argue about whether that's him is supposed to be capitalized or not. Um, I think the context of 6 and 7 and uh, uh, 8 and 9, all of this, the context is, is somebody being a witness of Jesus, a witness of the Word of God, a witness of the light. So at one time I had capitalized that, but I think that it's really to bear witness of Jesus that through him might believe. Through the witness, through the testimony, through your life, they might believe. Through John, through the grace of God, they might believe. And that's why you and I are supposed to be reflecting that light. And the word witness is not, it's related to Acts 1.8. You know when it says, uh, uh, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. For what? To be a witness, a martyr, one who dies for their faith. A witness to me throughout Jerusalem, Judea, all Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Well, listen, isn't John a perfect example of this? He was a perfect example of a martyr. Now, this is martyreo. There's three different words used here. One is one is where martyrs uh, is one who dies for their faith. A martyr, he's a witness. A martyreo is one who is in the process of doing it. And then the other word is one who's done it. So that you just got three tenses of the word. But John did it. John was given truth. Why was John killed? For telling Herod the truth that he shouldn't have his brother's wife. That he should not have married her. What happened? They, they arrested him. They bound him up in prison. But Herod's like, well, man, I, I think he's a prophet indeed. I don't want to kill him. Then he got tricked into killing him. Are you being tricked right now into killing the witness of God in your life? Are you being tricked by some, somebody else so, so somebody else in your life that's waiting for opportune time to lie to you? See, because that's what happens. If you don't get all the way in the water, if you don't get into the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship, if you're not about finding out what God called you and sent you for, listen to me, then you're waiting for somebody to deceive you, and then you'll be walking in the wrong place, and they'll cut your head off, and you'll have no witness. You won't have a witness. You'll be dead. And you don't have to be physically dead to be dead. You can be spiritually dead. Think you're okay and you're not. That's the way people live their Christian life today. 
They put, they put John the Baptist off in the prison, and they only hear him when they have opportunity or they want to. They only go to church when they want to. They only come to Bible study when they want to. They only pick up their Bible when they want to. And then they were just waiting to cut his head off when they find something they don't like. Number one person, people, group, going to cults today is people who are in Christian churches. And they're running off into cults. They're running off into places that are lying to them. That preaches something that's close enough to look good, but it isn't the gospel. It isn't the truth. Listen, you need a John the Baptist in your life all the time. Not just Jesus and the Spirit of God. You need somebody that will get in your face with the truth all the time. Tell you things that you don't want to hear. That's why we go to church, to be equipped, but we've watered church down into something where we just get people to dress up and come in and give money so we can build our buildings. It's got nothing to do about the conversion of a soul, about the sanctification of a life, about the converting, turning to God and going out and being the body of Christ. I'm sorry, I digress. And listen to me, I haven't figured it all out either. I'm just preaching the Bible. I'm still learning to walk this out too and be of John the Baptist or a witness or a light to other people. But are you hiding your light under a bush? Under a basket? Notice when we read that in, in, in 517, the, the light, you light it and you find a place. You find your place. Where is the place I can set this light and it lights the whole house? It has to be the center of your life. And then everybody gets to bask in the light and see, and they don't fall in the darkness. That's what Jesus did. Didn't he become the central theme? He came down and died on a hill. That was the hill he died on, Calvary. He came down, the light of the world, and he didn't go hide. He came right out, and they killed him in front of everybody. And it became the central theme of the entire planet everything in life that light is shining still 2000 years later into our darkness because men walked it out in truth and we're not afraid to die that's john the baptist's example i'm gonna tell you the truth no matter what kill me i get to go be with jesus you know did he doubt that he make mistakes yes he made mistakes he said, I must decrease that he would increase, though. He knew that he was supposed to be honoring him, not bringing honor to himself. But while he was in jail, he said, sent some of his guys and said, go ask him. Are you the one we were waiting for? And Jesus said, well, tell him the lame are being healed. The blind are seen. And blessed are those who are not offended by my works, by my actions, by me. He needed encouragement. But the church today seems to be offended by Jesus. We're offended by preaching the gospel is a spiritual kingdom and not black and white. That's offensive. That doesn't line up with my political correctness. I'm not going to that church. Are you serious? You want to honor man instead of God? I better digress again, or we'll never get through this text. He came as a light that through him 
might believe. What Believe what? Believe in the Christ. Believe in the light. That's the word pistio, to entrust your spiritual well-being into something. In this case, Jesus the Christ. And if you believe in him, then you have a constancy in that commitment that you've made to him where you're always turning to the word of God, always turning to the truth of God. You're making your decisions based upon the wisdom of God. Your whole life is decided. And as you do that, you're trusting him and it changes your faith. It makes it real living faith. He was not that light, and he was clear to make people know that. We'll see that in our next lesson. But was sent, an apostle, to bear witness of that light. Now think about it. If the church is supposed to bear witness of the light, why are we trying to draw attention to ourselves? Why are we trying to promote denominational boundaries? Why are we trying to promote anything except for the Word of God? When you begin to try to promote everything else, I talked to some people this week, and I don't like to pick on people, but I, I ask them where they went to church, and they tell me where they went to church, and they said, we're Bible-based, and we have really good music. And I made this face, and somebody said, why'd you make that face? And I'm like, well, how could you call yourself a church if you didn't teach the Bible? But I'm here to tell you, I didn't say what I wanted to say, because anything that's based on the Bible has got something mixed with it. And it's got nothing to do with music. Music has nothing to do with church, absolutely. Our culture might have started playing music in front of the service. We might have it set up to play two slow songs and three fast and then do some announcements and then sit down and get into the Word of God. But that's just the way culturality does it today. We actually think that because we sing songs on Sunday morning, we've been worshiping God. Worship is proskuneo. It means to bow your face down to God and obey what His Word says. Not to sing catchy lyrics and then never do what they even say. Listen, a form is opening your heart to sing to God so that you can receive with meekness the implanted word for the saving of the soul. But if all you're doing is singing a catchy song like our culture does in all of the entertainment world, and we learn songs and we go, I like that one, I don't like that one. I can't believe he's playing that in G. I like it like this, and I don't like it when he messes up and he sings on the sharps and the flats. That's got nothing to do with it. But that's what we do in our entertainment culture because we're following the world. We're seeking the honor. We need nice praise bands to even play music because we're wanting people to think that we're good. Well, these people, that church there, man, they got it going on. They got a nice praise band. They got smoke coming off the stage. Nothing to do with God. Spit zone here. But I get a little bit excited when we take everything that's physical and tangible and we turn it into the godly and we ignore the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the light that God is shining in our darkness, and we keep walking in darkness and living the same way and ignore God, and we think we're okay. It's blasphemy, if you want to know the truth. We hide our light. The greatest thing the church can do to one another is speak truth in love. And yet, if you say something about a pastor or one of the congregants, what do we do? We throw fits like little children and get mad, and we don't want to be around them anymore. And the greatest love you can show somebody is to tell them the truth about what they're doing and how they're living. That's what Jesus did, and they killed him. That's what John the Baptist did, and they cut his head off. 
And that's what happens in our culture today. If a church preaches the truth, we get up and we go to another one and we go somewhere where we can fit and feel comfortable and stay in our life and never have to worry about changing. That's good old-fashioned darkness. That's good old-fashioned death. That's good old-fashioned lie. That's good old-fashioned rebellion. That is not salvation of a soul. Listen, I'm not the light. And if you think I'm the light, I'm a rock star pastor, you are confused in your brain and your soul is in danger. If you're looking for me to be your light, I can try to walk it out in front of you and I can preach it in front of you and walk in my gifting and I don't even do that very well. But I'm not going to shut up because I'm going to keep pointing to Jesus. He's the only one that saved my life. He uses people in our life to direct us. But you better have a personal love relationship and stop following men. Stop giving honor to men. Follow Jesus. Again, the testimony of our author giving testimony about John the baptizer. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Notice it's every man coming into the world. Why? Because the light, he breathes life into every, everything was created through him, through Jesus. He breathes life into them. Now that life was messed up. We were made in God's image in the garden and then sin interrupted. So now everybody's born with a sin nature. You're born in darkness now. But he gives you life. Nobody's having life. I just seen yesterday a thing about where AI... What was her name? Lenonia? Something like that. They got a new robot that has feelings and emotions and can think and rationalize and has overtaken, overtaken the people who created it. Arguing with them, not listening to them, telling them the standards by which they're going to be. And they're trying to figure out what do we do now? Listen to me, because only real life and, and the guy that was part of creating was like, well, we don't want to hurt its feelings. I'm like, are you crazy? Listen, only God can give real life. Only God can create a person with a rational soul, a spirit, and bring salvation. We can't do that as men, but we're getting ready to do it. I'm not going to go into, no, never mind. Listen to me. God gives every one of us breath. But then he can give you light for your soul. He can save your soul. That's what he was sent for. Watch what it says here. He's, 9 says he's the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. So you have a little bit of light. You have enough light to know where to turn, but you can choose not to turn there. He's never going to force it upon you. He was in the world. This is verse 10. And the world was made through him. Remember, he made all things through him. There was nothing made that was not made through him spoke it into existence, and the world did not know him. Listen, because of darkness, we don't know him. We're born in darkness. We're born sinners. We don't know God. We don't experience God. We are our own gods. And then it says he came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but to as many as received him, 
To them he gave the right, the privilege, the power to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Listen to me. The world doesn't know him. But then he came to the nation Israel, his own the ones who had the word of God, the ones that they, they, they were formed out of Abram, who he called out of that world that didn't know him. They were all worshiping false gods. His own people, he came to them, and they did not receive him. Where's that word at? Receive. Receive means to receive near associate with in an intimate act or relation to take unto like you take someone unto you in marriage they didn't receive him the nation of israel did not receive him this is this is 543 i have come in my father's name jesus speaking he came in the character the nature the authority he came in his very, the very will of God, the Father, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, his own character, his nature, authority, him you will receive. They'll have a relationship. The nation of Israel will receive the Antichrist. It's going to happen soon. How can you believe? How can you trust in me confidently since you receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. What are you seeking in life today? Are you seeking the honor that comes from God? Or are you just seeking your next meal? Are you worried about lunch? Are you worried about your eternal soul? Well, wait a minute, Greg. I was told when I first said the prayer that I was saved automatically and everything was good and I'm okay and I don't have to do anything else. Well, let me, let me just tell you, if that were true, then you were bought by the precious blood of Jesus if you believe the word of God. So now you're not your own. You belong to God. And now he gets to do what he wants with you. And he puts his spirit in you. And you now are his light to go out and be a witness to the rest of the world. And again, it goes right back to marriage. If my wife comes around cussing like a sailor, if my wife comes around cheating people, if my wife comes around and her character is bad, guess what? It reflects on me who she's married to, because I'm her head. I'm the one that's supposed to be dying and leading and going and giving and preparing all things for her to make sure that she can be taken care of and that she will go out and be a witness of what her house is like. This is what God is doing in a marriage. This is what God has done as he come to earth. Everything is prepared for us. I'll get ahead of myself, and I like getting ahead of myself because I'm just going to follow the Holy Spirit. But when God come to earth and took flesh, he's now dwelling in a tent, an earthly tent. Then he died and rose again on the third day. He spent 40 days speaking to his disciples of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, the word of God, everything about God, because he is the minister and the government of God right here with us that tells us how to live for God. But what's my point? Then he ascended into heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit back to do what? To dwell in us. Old Testament, he dwelt in a little tent that they moved around. If you're reading with us in the Bible schedule, 2 Chronicles chapter 1, we see Solomon, the son, obeying the father. Well, what's he obeying the father in? 
Well, David wanted to build a temple for God, and God said, you got blood on your hands. So what did David do? Threw a temper tantrum, kicked his feet, and went and started shooting people. No, I'm sorry. I don't even know where that came from. No, David continued to obey God. His desire was to build a house for God, and since he wasn't allowed to put his hands to the work and do the work, what did he do? He went and spent the rest of his life preparing the supplies so his son could do it. He went and got all of this stuff ready. He had everything ready. The plan was all laid out. Everything was there. Solomon takes the throne. What does he do? He's ready to begin building a temple for God. He takes all of the supplies that his father prepared for him in the plan. He doesn't come up with something new. The son does what the father was doing. This is a picture of Jesus doing what the father sent him to do in his name. And now we've been sent the same way. Listen to me. Everything's already laid out. All the supplies are there. If our lives aren't changing and we're not being a witness and we're not glorifying God, see, listen, because 1 Corinthians 3.16, what does it say? Do you not know that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If you're saved, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now he's building a temple in your heart, a temple not made with hands, but eternal in the heavenlies. It's right here. And all the supplies are here, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the truth of God, the light. Everything's here. But have you begun to do what the Father said? Have you begun to follow the example of the Son? who was obedient in all of his household and, and, and did everything that God called him to do? Are you beginning to build that temple where God can live in your heart? Because he's there if the Holy Spirit's there. What's he living in? But this is all. The Old Testament is types showing us what the spiritual is really going to be. Because this is a spirit realm that we live in. This is a spiritual house. God's a spirit. And then he does something amazing and he comes down in that spirit and he takes flesh and he pitches his tent among us. He dwells with us and becomes altogether like us. Even though he's 100% God, he become flesh so that he could walk through everything that we're walking through and be acquainted with our grief understand how to do it, and then be an example of how to live it. So now he dwells in us. We're the restraining factor. When the church is taken out, all hell is literally going to break loose on the planet. That's because the Spirit of God now dwells in his people. His bride, who he's washing and cleansing. And we're supposed to go out and be that witness to represent the head, our husband. That light. And that means also being a martyr. One who dies for their faith. Not die fighting. Because the victory's over. The war's over. Everything's over. It's done. We're standing ground. See, he come to his own, and his own did not receive him. He came to this world. He's coming to you. Are you receiving him? Why did he come and take flesh? In the Bible, there's a thing called the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer. And it, if you lost your property that was given to you as an inheritance, the only person that could buy it back was somebody who had the ability, had the, had the monetary, uh, uh, the, the, the payment, and was related to you. They were near of kin. They could buy it back and get it for you. And, 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 and if, if they didn't, nobody wanted to do that, 
Then you had to wait to what's called the year of Jubilee, the 50th year. Every 50 years, God had set up a system where nobody ever lost anything because the family would get it back on the 50th year. But if you look at the Bible, you don't ever see any place where anybody practiced that. It's not written down anywhere that anybody was getting their stuff back because everybody was wanting power. They were wanting the stuff that they got. And once they got it, they didn't want to give it back to anybody. So they disobeyed God because their lives are about material things. But the life of God is about souls. If we're living for Jesus, it's about souls. So the kinsman redeemer, you see it in the book of Ruth, best portrayed in the book of Ruth. where we have a near of kin who actually says, nope, I won't redeem her. So the next kin redeems her. And that's what Jesus is. He's our kinsman redeemer. But in order, the reason he took flesh, see how God could have done a bunch of stuff, right? But he obeys the laws of the land. He obeys the laws of the land unless they compromise his government, his kingdom. And the law of the land was the only way to buy back and redeem the inheritance was lost. Where do we lose the inheritance? In Adam. Adam, Adam had, had take care of all the garden, and here's your bride. And then they listened to another voice. They listened to some other word except for the Logos. They listened to another word from the devil, another government, and they disobeyed God. And we lost the inheritance. So what is our inheritance? Death. You're born dead. You're born condemned. And Jesus comes and takes flesh. Well, what happens when he takes flesh? He becomes our kinsman redeemer because now he's near of kin. He had to be flesh in order to be a kinsman redeemer. Well, well what's that? What, what can he do now? He can buy us back if he lives a perfect life. He doesn't have Adam as a father, so he doesn't inherit the disinheritance and the death. Well, who's his father? The Holy Spirit overshadowed him. That's why you cannot attack the virgin birth. There's a lot of Christians today, a lot of pastors today saying, it's okay if you want to attack the virgin birth, it doesn't matter. He died for us. The virgin birth means he didn't have the first Adam as his father, so he didn't already, wasn't already born dead. He wasn't already born disinherited. He wasn't already born and needing a Savior. But he was born, and he had the Spirit without measure upon him. So he became flesh, a body you have prepared for me. He died in the flesh, but his spirit was always alive. He obeyed through the spirit everything, sinless, which made him qualified to pour out his blood as a sacrifice according to the Levitical law and pay for your and our sin and buy back and give us and we become joint heirs with him. Well, what's his inheritance? Everything. So once again, now we can walk in the garden. Everything belonged to us and God have, have perfect fellowship with God as Adam and Eve did before sin. We can all enjoy everything that belongs to God because he's our father and everything in his house we're allowed to share. Then we'd be a witness to that. But it's only because Jesus was born of a virgin birth. It was only because Jesus perfectly obeyed when he was tempted in every way. It was only because Jesus died and rose again and then he gave us his righteousness, and that's only when you receive it. Listen, you have to take it to yourself. You have to have that act where I'm taking it to myself. I believe it. I trust it. I'm committing to it, and now I'm going to obey it because salvation is bringing us back into a place where we can obey God without the penalty of sin because Christ already took it. Listen to me. This is very important because maybe somebody's never explained this to you, Then you need to hear it. 
Because it's not just saying a prayer. Now you're in a place where you can positionally be set free from the penalty, the power, and you can start to be removed from the practice of sin. Now you're standing in that place that you can say, I want to obey God. And you can follow by the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to keep rejecting Him. The punishment's been taken. The penalty's been taken. The power's been taken. And now you just have to listen to the Word of God. My sheep, hear my voice, my Word. I know them and they follow me. And you belong to Him. We know Him now. That light has been received. We can have a relationship. We can come to know. We can grow in the knowledge. He came to the nation of Israel, and they did not take Him to themselves. They did not associate with it in an intimate act of relationship in a marriage. They rejected Him. They listened to other religious rulers, and they said, crucify Him. He's not doing what I want, so kill Him. Cut His head off. Oh, no, that's what they did to John the Baptist, huh? doesn't matter how they killed him. The fact is, are you willing to die? Die to the old nature and live with the new nature. Die to self. Literally, in a Christian belief, you should know that when he says, take up your cross, deny self, and follow me, the first thing about a disciple of Christ is to die, that I'm willing to die in order to get this message out to others. But we're asleep in America, especially. People are dying everywhere in other countries every day. In America, we're going, that ain't fair. I didn't get one of them. I'm serious. In America, listen, like, like, like Roe versus Wade just got overturned. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We killed 70 million babies. 70 million babies in the last 50 years all because of immorality. And we call it women's rights. You can choose death, but there's life. It's not women's right to go out, and men's right to go out and have sex, have a baby, say, that's going to interfere with my career. Let's kill it. That's not a woman's right. That's the devil's right to kill babies. It's the same thing as bell worship, where they would do everything, and they think they're going to church, and the church believes it's okay to kill babies. That's a life. And now technology is catching up and proven to everybody. In color, you can see a baby in the womb. In color, you can watch an abortion as the baby screams. My wife was telling me about a baby that was fighting back at the tools, pulling at it, fighting back because pain makes you move. Listen to me. This is very important. But as much as I applaud that this has been reversed, they reversed it because of the Constitution, not because of the Bible. Listen to me. This is federalist. This is, this is governmental. This is legislative. You cannot legislate holiness. People still want to kill babies in their hearts, whether it's the law of the land or not. They were being rebellious, whether it was the law of the land or not. We're following the Bible. This is not revival because some judges decided to reverse Roe versus Wade. Those judges aren't serving God. Praise the Lord, we're not going to kill them for a while. 
But you know what we're going to do? We're going to shoot them up in the schools because we're not defending that. We're going to shoot them up in the street because we're not taking care of that. We're going to leave them in our homes and go out and chase our stuff and forget to train them in the way they're supposed to go because we're not taking care of that. The problem is morality. The problem is light in our darkness that we reject. It's not that the courts ruled you can't kill babies or you can kill babies. Because if you really believed in God, you would never kill your baby. But the world has always been killing its own. The beauty is those 70 million babies went straight to be in the presence of God. That's the beauty. So I would say, and just for a disclaimer, if you ever had an abortion, ask God for forgiveness and you can be forgiven. There's healing, there's hope. He forgives and you already have fruit in heaven. So what an amazing thing. Through that mistake, God can take that and use it for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We should have never made abortion legal. It should never be legal. God said, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not murder. That's pretty simple, isn't it? But make no mistake, they'll use this on one side to act like we're having revival because God is hearing our prayers. That's a secular decision. God already said, don't kill your babies. And if you're in the church, you wasn't doing it anyway. But the world is always going to be evil. The problem is, is that we live in perilous times because the church is doing what the world is doing because they won't listen to the voice of God. They've turned away from the bars. They've turned away from cussing, but they turn right back to the world. And then they just want to be like the world. They want to get honor from the world. They want to live and look like the world. They don't want to honor God. That's the problem in the church. Morality, the word of God. Jesus died to give it to us. Are we going to pick up our inheritance and go out and be a light to others? Or are we going to keep acting like the world? He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, the nation of Israel. They rejected him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power, is what it is. Power is the word in the King James, exodia. And I'm pronouncing it wrong, but that's what it looks like in the English but it's a Greek word written out. Everything's pronounced differently. The power. Some people translate it privilege. There's a privilege here to serve God, a privilege to lay your life down, a privilege to be a martyr, a privilege to be a light bearer, a privilege to be one that could be considered a son of God, a child of God. It's a privilege, but it's the same word for power in Matthew 28, 18, when Jesus said, all power has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples, teaching them or baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. And, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It's the same power. He gave us the same power. If you receive him and believe in his name, you have the power to become a child of God to those who trust in his character, his nature, his will, his authority, what he's doing on the planet. You can't trust in your own strength. You can't trust in the bank account. You can't trust in what the man's going to say and honor other people and think you're trusting in God. You can trust and you love one or you, and you're going to hate the other. Jesus says you can't serve both. This is a everything God, God first, or you're double-minded and let not that man think that he could receive anything from God, James says. 
when you're double-minded. You've been given a privilege to believe in His name. That's amazing. You know, and believe really, I, and I haven't talked about this for a long time, believing uh, is, and, and, I, and I've seen this years ago and I like it. See this chair? I can believe that's a chair. I can have the head knowledge to know that a chair is something that's made to hold somebody's weight when they sit down in it to rest their legs so that they can be comfortable. I can know this will save me from cramps in my legs later because I sat down and took the pressure off my legs. And I can build this thing with three legs on it. Think about this for a minute. It doesn't have to have four. I can make all kinds of designs of chairs. I've seen some amazing chairs. Chairs are amazing. They give you rest. This chair is amazing. Three legs is all it takes. Now, if you have one leg, you'd be in trouble. Still resting on your own weight, right? Two legs, still resting on your own weight. Three legs, now you can rest on that chair. Think about that. That's the word prayer and fellowship. If all you're doing is praying, you're on one leg. You're a pogo stick. You're on, if you're reading and praying, you're on two legs. Now, now, you still can't rest because you're still balancing yourself and holding yourself up with your own strength. But when you have the word, prayer, and fellowship, now you have a foundation of three-legged chair where you can sit down and rest. If you want to add a fourth leg, which is communion, Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the word, prayer, and fellowship, and they took communion daily. You can add it. And I can know that's a chair all day long. I can know about the word, prayer, and fellowship, and communion and never sit down in it. Never rest in it. Never say, okay, I know it's made of metal. It's made of tensile strength is to hold 400 pounds. I can make this chair and know everything about it and never rest in it. And my legs can get tired. My life can get old. I can grow weary. But it's when I believe enough to go, okay, I trust the manufacturer. I trust the plan. I trust the design. I like the cushion. It's five inches of foam. And I can sit down in it and talk about it and shine a light about it and prove to you that I'm resting in it because I know it will hold me. That's when you believe in Jesus. doesn't matter how many times you go to church, how big of a Bible you carry. Are you resting in it, shining a light about it, telling others about this nice chair that you bought? Our church got new chairs, five inches of foam, green in color, made of a quarter, or excuse me, half inch tubing. Bit at air. Oh, forget it. Listen to me. Are you resting in Christ? Or are you just saying you believe in him? If he gave us his only son, how will he not give us everything else that pertains to life and godliness. Why would we not listen to someone who would die for us? God, creator of heaven and earth, came and died for us. Why would we not rest in that? Well, because of our sin and ourself and Satan. Listen, do you believe really in his name, his character, his nature, what he came to do? This is what he was sent for. Verse 13, who were born, that's generated, not of blood. Listen, blood is funny when you look up blood in the Greek. Blood in the Greek, you, you not believe what it says. It says literally the juice of grapes. It always has, ever since I've been looking it up for 25 years. And I'm like, man, what in the world? But it's a life blood. A grape is not a grape without the juice in it. And without the blood of Jesus, you are not a Christian. 
And if you have the blood of Jesus, then you have the Spirit of God, and then you can rest because you're sealed until the day of salvation. But not born of blood, which is flesh and blood, nor of the will of the flesh, flesh and blood, nor of the will of man. See, a lot of people are born again by the will of man. You know, if you just, if you just come up here and say a prayer with me, you'll be saved. That's the will of man. I'm building me a kingdom. I'm building me a church. I want people to think they're converts so that they'll come back. That's the will of man. That's the decided decision of man. When you add to God's word, listen to it. Let me read it to you. The will, a determination, a choice, a purpose of man. That's what he's talking about. It was man's determination to convince people that they're saved if they say a prayer. It's man's determination to convince people that if they meet in a building on Sunday, they're okay. But are you being equipped? Are you resting in salvation? Are you being the light of the world? Are you allowing the Spirit of God to, to burn out the dross and wash and cleanse you as you go out and tell others and you die to self? Are you walking in His strength, His power, His might? Listen, He came to earth and took flesh and dwelt among us. Do you trust him? We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, the unique birth of the Father, full of grace and truth. Listen, it's not our will. It's the will of God. And the will of God is what you should be following today. Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. Is that our example? John said, hey, wait a minute. What are you doing taking me into the cell? Are you really the son of God? Are you the one we were waiting for? Now he could die in peace. It was okay to be in prison since he knew that Jesus was the Christ. He had finished his calling. He had already said before in witness, in testimony, I must decrease that he could increase. Because see, his own disciples were mad that they were baptizing more than him. His own disciples got mad at, at Jesus' disciples. But then in the storm, he was like, what is going on? Was he really the Messiah? Did I really hear from God? Did I eat too much wild locusts and honey? And he needed to be assured of it. Are you assured of your salvation? Could you have your head cut off today? Don't answer that question. A lot of people go, yeah, I could do it. You need the grace of God to have your head cut off for Jesus. That's all I can tell you. He needs to be there and he needs to show up. Full of grace and truth. Grace is charis. It's uh, benevolence or it is uh, graciousness. The manner or the act, but it's the divine influence upon the heart. Oh, oh, there's more. And it's reflection in the life. Listen, if we've received grace by faith, there's going to be a divine influence upon your heart, and then it's going to reflect the light of Christ in your life. That's what grace says. That's what it means. Have you been born of the will of God or born again because some man told you something? 
Listen, the will of God is by the Spirit of God for the glory of God. God's will is that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. Repentance means I've changed my mind. I I understand that I can't do it in my strength. I understand that I'm wrong. I understand that in my natural person, I am an enemy of God. In my natural person, if I leave it to myself and I don't follow the truth of God, the light of God, I will choose to do things against God in your natural person. That's why you're always, always daily dying so you know you have to listen to what God says and you don't get caught up in your own esteem, in your own strength, in your own ways, following what man is doing. It's a daily walk, a daily dying, a daily crucifixion of self, being crucified to Christ. Paul said, I die daily because he knows that in himself nothing good dwells. In the flesh, nothing good dwells. And that he could get up at any moment and decide he wants to believe the flattering attention of man and be honored by them and stop teaching what offends them. See, because if you're not offended by the Word of God when it's preached, then you're already perfect or you're dead. I'm, I'm just telling you. Because the Word of God should be going in and cutting away. And, and, and I'm not saying that it offends you in the same way that I might offend you with my flesh. But it should hurt. It should cut. It should be, oh my goodness, that's, that's me. I need to get right. Here I am, Lord. I repent. It should cause you to want to repent because that's what we're here for is to grow. And the only way a tree grows is when you prune it properly, when you cut away properly, you get rid of the the, the sucker branches on it. They beheld his glory. They looked at him closely. Have you looked at Jesus closely? He became flesh. He's written on the pages of Scripture. He's the living Word. He's the written Word. He became incarnate. Uh, 115. John, again, bore witness. Are you bore witness? This is an interesting statement here. John bore witness of Him, of the light, of Christ, of the Word of God, and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now listen, the word cried out means this when you look it up, to croak. Now see, I thought frogs croaked, but evidently ravens croak. An unclean, dirty black bird is what that is, a raven. And it says to croak as a raven or scream, to cry aloud. I thought that was very interesting for that to be what John was doing. See, but we are unclean. That keeps us humble when we understand that in ourselves, in our natural man, without the new nature, we are unclean birds. We're evil. Jesus said to him, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your, to your children, how much more will your Father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? That's because you're getting real. You know who you are. You're evil. Our flesh is evil. Our own nature is evil. That's why we die to it and we choose Jesus and we grow in the grace of God. So he cried out and look what he said. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred. 
It means generated before me, for he was before me. That's interesting, isn't it? Because if you go over to Luke chapter 1, we find out that John the Baptist's mom, who was Jesus' uh, uh, cousin, it was, it was uh, uh, Elizabeth, was Mary's sister, I believe, if I, my text is right, that six months is what the Holy Spirit Gabriel tells Mary. And your aunt and your relation is what it says. Elizabeth, who was called barren, never born any children, is six months pregnant with her baby. It was part of the evidence that was given to Mary to believe that she was going to be pregnant because her aunt, who was barren and never had a child, was now six months pregnant. And she said, let it be done according to the word of God. Let it be, a, uh, let it be done to your maidservant according to the word of God. I'm not going to go there for sake of time. I'm just telling you what happened. And then she packed up her bags, got on a donkey, and went up to visit Elizabeth. And when she got there, the babe jumped in the womb because it knew that the Lord Jesus had come that was already in Mary's womb. And then you had the, uh, the Magnificat that Elizabeth speaks. How is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord would come and visit me, a lowly servant? Amazing stuff. It's all written down in the Word of God and testimony for you and I, not just to read and, and, and have medicine that goes in that changes the inside of us and helps our faith grow, but to go out and shine it as a light to other people and declare it as truth. The problem is, is we let people uh, push us down and, and we don't share the light. But boy, we'll let them share their evil. They'll tell you everything about their vampire movies and everything they've been watching on TV and how they're cheating on their wives and, and everything. They'll tell you everything about their darkness. Shine some light in the darkness. God has called us to be light bearers. So John bore witness and he cried out. And he didn't care what they thought. And they killed him. 16. And of his fullness... We have all received. He's full of grace and truth. Of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. Grace for grace. Charis for charis. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That grace is for grace. It's grace upon grace even. Grace because of grace, it could have been translated. Because It's not because of what we have done. It's not because of who we are. It's because of who God is that he had mercy and then he give grace and we can believe it by faith. And then by grace, we can keep growing. We can keep going. We can keep living in that grace of God. Grace upon grace. Grace because of grace. We do not deserve it. But God wants to bask us in his love, in his beauty. He wants to have fellowship with us he wants us to be his children he wants to adopt us isn't that amazing isn't adoption amazing i think adoption is amazing because you go and choose to take a child and make it part of your family and that's what god has done 
He's like, listen, I know you're a little sinner. Listen, I know you're dead. Listen, I know you did that. And I know what you're going to do tomorrow. But I love you and I want to adopt you. I want to make you my very own and make you like me. Not force you to like him, make you like in his likeness. Just wanted to clarify that. Because some parents say, I'll beat you till you like me. You're going to like me. I don't care if you obey. Instead of training them and loving them. We're all sinners. Even as parents. Even as children. And God gives us grace. Grace upon grace. Because of grace. It's not because of us. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. The grace of God has appeared to all men. Wish I could remember this verse. Titus. I keep I had it memorized and somehow I keep twisting it, but I'll read it to you. For the grace of God has appeared, or excuse me, for the grace of God that brings salvation, deliverance from the sin nature, has appeared, has manifested to all men teaching us, that's what we're supposed to go and do as lights, teaching us that denying ungodliness, that's saying I deny myself daily, uh, worldly lusts, not honoring men, not chasing stuff, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present evil age. And while we're doing that, we're looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing, He's coming again, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why would we be doing that? Because he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people that are zealous for good works. See, it's afterwards. We should be zealous to work, zealous to serve, zealous to lay our life down, zealous to give ourselves away. It should be the zeal of the Lord that works in us if we allow the Spirit of God to flow through us And shine the light of his truth on others. For the law was given through Moses. I thought it was interesting. I looked up Moses. And it's one drawn out. But Moses. And it says it's used 80 times in the Bible. I was like that's interesting. Because 80 is when he actually was called. At 80 years of age. See he he was at 40. Thought he would get up and do it. And he had to spend 40 years in backside seminary in the wilderness learning from God. And then when he turned 80 years of age, God said, take off your shoes. You stand on holy ground. Quit walking in the flesh. Get your shoes off and start walking on holy ground. That's the calling for all of us. If we're called out of darkness into his marvelous light, get your walk off. Get your shoes off and follow the light. Share the light. Live in the light. Oh, I meant, yeah, I already got that. So Moses, 80 times. Uh, That's where the law came. The law was given by Moses. Nothing wrong with the law. It's perfect. Converting the soul. Perfect. The law was perfect. It was God saying exactly what he did and what he wanted, what he required. Perfection. That's what the law was for. It was a school marm. It was a pedagogist. It was to teach us that we could not keep it. I'm not able to drive 55. I mean, uh, I, I'm not able to keep the law. 
Listen, that's what it was for. So then when we know that we can't keep the law, what do we do? We believe in Jesus who kept the law perfectly for us. It was to point us to our need for a Savior because we have nothing in us that's capable of keeping the law. But there's nothing wrong with the law at all. It's still the requirement, actually, if you want to deal with your life. Is the Holy Spirit teaching me to have no other gods before me? I mean, the Holy Spirit, I mean, God hasn't changed. That's still His requirement. He still wants you to have no other gods before Him. Yet we put so many things when we honor others and honor everything else before God. You can go through the Ten Commandments and look at them. Is the Holy Spirit teaching? Yes, the Holy Spirit would teach you to do all those things. That's why it's an amazing thing that we give, we give praise to God that Roe versus Wade has been overturned. But we need to be awake enough to know, again, that you cannot legislate holiness. You cannot, the law doesn't do anything, anything for sinners who don't want to obey God. And that's the world we live in, that's underneath the sway of the wicked one. They're doing their own things. They're building their own utopia. Amazingly, as Isaiah said, good is bad and bad is good. They're in the streets rioting over good. But when bad gets, when bad gets approved, they're not in the streets rioting. They're at home rejoicing. That's the evil of this world, and we shouldn't be rejoicing with them. And make no mistake, I'm not rejoicing, or excuse me, I'm not mad that Roe versus Wade got overturned. It should have never been a law in the first place because we follow God. But I'm also cautious because many people will try to act like that God is well favored with us in some of the things we're still doing. God never wanted us to murder. The law come through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Remember, he just told us he was full of grace and truth. And so we're supposed to be led by grace in faith, following truth, not the lie. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, the unique Son of God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. See, no one has seen God. We know that because God is a spirit. Seen means to discern clearly or to stare at, to behold. Listen to what they say. They say, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But no one's really beheld the fullness of God. We've seen what he made possible as God in the flesh becoming like us. And then we've seen that he was the bosom of the Father, the the heart of God. He's the heart of God. That's the bosom. It actually means means the front of the body between the arms. He's the heart of God. God in the flesh. Emmanuel. God with us. His heart. Everything that he did was God's heart. And Jesus declared him. 
to consider out loud. That's what that word means, declared him. He considered him out loud. Why? Because he's the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. He rehearsed him. He was, it means to tell. He became flesh and he told us the heart of God. Every time he would speak, it was his words. Isaiah says there was no comeliness about him. Nothing that you should desire him. You look at him, he looked just like every other Jewish man that was about five, six, walking around. He didn't look any different. He looked just like any other carpenter. But when he spoke, he was the living incarnate word of God. And out of the abundance of the heart, the father spoke through his son, who he sent down to become flesh. And they knew, John said, the one whom Jesus loved. When John would hear his words, he knew that God loved him. Do you know today that God loves you? Then receive it. Believe it. Take it out and share it. Let it change your life. Grace for grace. Grace because of grace. We've been freely given. Freely share it with others. Trust God for it. You were never capable. You weren't capable to receive it. You weren't capable to deliver it. But if you'll trust Him, He has already given you everything to build this little temple this little sanctuary where you meet with him to make your heart just like him. Remember David, man after God's own heart. This is what we need to be, the heart of God to others. Someone who would lay their life down so others could come to salvation. That's what he's calling us to be, John the Baptist to others. Could be scary could be fun, could be dramatic. It's whatever God has called it to be in your life. But are you going to receive it? Are you going to believe it? Are you going to walk in it? Are you going to live it out or play some culturanity game? Now it's time for us to go out and declare it out loud. Declare it. Father, thank you for your word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Lord, give us a desire to spend time in prayer with him. Because we know that he'll tell us to read the word and then tell others and spend time in fellowship. Give us a desire to be the bride that you've called us to be, to be washed and cleansed to shine a light, to represent you properly because of your spirit, your truth, your ways, your word. Give us the desire to learn, not to just believe what someone would tell us, but to get into the word of God and learn your character and your nature. We know that one day every knee will bow to the praise of your glory. One day every knee will bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray, Lord, that today would be the day that we bow down, we surrender, and we allow you to change us into your image for your glory for such a time as this. Pour out your spirit, Lord. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. 
If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Desire.